we read from Romans 13, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. <coughs> For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. And therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Heavenly and most merciful Father, the Apostle Paul Himself, a Roman citizen, wrote this letter to the early Christians in Rome who had, as a conquered people, no rights to speak of. And yet, he did not call them for active resistance or even towards rebellion. He instead calls for the expression of their newfound faith in urging them to love each other. And by doing so, fulfilling the law. Holy Spirit, will you now bless Pastor Andrew in speaking the words that you have laid on his heart and make us receptive to taking these words and to reflect on them, to cherish them and to live by it. I pray this in the name of the one whose name is above all names, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as I alluded to uh, a little bit earlier, I, I don't really think we need a whole lot of introduction uh, to get contextualized with, uh, with where this text is going. And we are in the midst of election season. I, I watched a tiny bit of football last night and saw how many commercials for uh, politicians. Uh, in the last couple of weeks, we have actually had a plot 
to kidnap our governor and to, you know, whisk her away to Wisconsin for a, uh, a planned secret trial. It's cr- crazy stuff. I'm not exactly sure that I've ever really thought that I would see something like that in America. So uh, here we are. And what we want to do is actually what the song, you know, we responded to, that, that patient kingdom. We, we want to slow ourselves down, take a step back, and, and look at what God's Word has to say with regards to the Christian and the state. Now, on the one hand, it's probably going to be frustrating uh, to some of you because uh, we operate on a very sort of temporal level, and we want to get into the weeds with a a lot of different questions. Um, Some of you may want to know, like, okay, well, what does God's Word say about who I should vote for, all of those different things? Um, And and we're going to be at a little bit different level. We're going to be at a higher level. We're going to sort of take a step back and look at the framework that then we as Christians fill in with our obedience, with our discernment, with the wisdom and the knowledge that God gives us according to our conscience, uh, as the Scriptures talk about here. But it's important that we have this framework, and and I know what we're doing today is good work. Uh, No matter matter who you are or where you are, it's, it's just so important that we have the framework because, you know, if, if we don't, just change the metaphor a little bit, if we don't have the right prescription, we can't see the world clearly. Uh, and we're going to get tripped up on, on all sorts of different things. So here Paul gives us the prescription, as it were, to be able to see uh, the role of the state, the role of Christian with regards to politics. As John said, remember, uh, you know, we, we talk about plots to take the governor, things like that, as being unusual. Uh, this was not necessarily unusual in the first century world. I mean, there were all sorts of coups that were taking place just not too long ago in the Greek states, you know, certainly in the Roman states. The Romans were a little bit more uh, control-oriented, heavy-handed with the, the war machine and all of that, so there was less of that. But, you know, very famously, you know, Brutus and Caesar and, you know, that whole thing, um, these are, that, that was part of the world in which they lived. Uh, it was a, a, a nation where there were heavy taxes. Uh, one writer describes a situation in Rome as, uh, you know, you had these crosses that were set up everywhere. We think about the cross with Jesus, but they were executing people left and right. You walk down a road, you'd see the crosses, people hung up on them, uh, crippling taxes, agricultural exploitation, economic destruction, war, violence. I mean, that was the situation into which Paul was writing to these first century Christians, and that's kind of the context and the background of where we are with regards to this passage. The immediate context also um, goes back to the passage that you looked at last week with Addison, uh, verses 9 to 12. Of course, this is coming all out of what began in, in verse 
uh, in verse 1 of chapter 12. This is Paul's appeal out of the mercies of God. But in particular, look at verse 19. Uh, There Paul says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So that's chapter 12, verse 19. And then he finishes it, 2021. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil. Uh, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That was Paul's instruction to the individual Christian. And then he turns immediately to uh, explaining what is that vengeance is mine, says the Lord, And then he starts to talk about the governing authorities. So this is another one of those places where the chapter division is not really helpful for us. Because if you just pick up reading 13.1 and you don't see its connection to what has immediately preceded it in chapter 12, uh, we're going to miss a lot of the import uh, that Paul is saying. And, And what he is saying here, and this is where we begin, is that there is a hierarchy Uh, in God's world. So, you know, we have the world ordered and we have God ordained. If you're a note taker, those are the two sub points under this hierarchy. Uh, When God created the world, He ordered it. He ordered it because He knew that we as humans were going to need structure, authority, hierarchy, all of those things. So, we see all sorts of order kind of built into the world. You go all the way back to Genesis, you see that uh, Adam and Eve were given a place of authority within the world. They were to do good. Uh, There was a structure in that relationship, uh, whereas Adam named the animals, named Eve, naming a sign of authority. There was structure in the household at that point. We see, you know, as we play out, God's putting together the theocracy in Israel, you know, beginning with Mount Sinai and on, there's order in the, in the society, there's order in the church. We see that both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. God has given uh, ministers or presbyters, elders, uh, deacons, like all of these things. Everywhere that God, uh, you know, in terms of human institution, He recognized that there has to be some order, there has to be some hierarchy. And then from a civic or a civic perspective, from a governmental perspective, it's the same thing. Uh, God has uh, ordered a hierarchy where there are, you know, uses all sorts of words scripturally. You see kings, you see rulers, you see princes. Uh, Psalm 82, I think, even calls them gods with a small g. Uh, so uh, there, there's there's this order that is given for the world, and and we're going to talk about the reasons for that in just a minute. But the second thing that I want you to note about this is that there is this order. Uh, and then it is ordained by God. We see that very clearly here uh, in this passage. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, for those and those that exist have been instituted by God. Um, there is this reality that God has uh, said that we need to be ordered, and then He has ordained 
folks to step into that rule. Now, there is immediately a question about this, right? Uh, and we've, we've come into that, uh, we've already broached that this summer when we were talking through Kings. Certainly, we recognize not everybody that holds a position of authority would, A, recognize that they have been put there by God, or B, certainly are not using that authority in order to enact God's will in terms of the rule of uh, His creation. Um, and that's certainly true. Uh, so, how do, you know, remember, we saw that this summer with, um, with Jehu, we saw that with. Uh, uh, Hatzael, uh, the king of Syria, God talked very clearly about placing them in those positions, but neither Hatzael nor Jehu ever bowed the knee to God. They never worshipped him. They did all sorts of atrocities uh, to the nation of Israel, to God's people, all of that. So, so how, do we, how do we reconcile this? Well, I think we reconcile it in, in a couple of ways. One, we, we recognize that God's plan uh, is deeper than we can imagine. We see certain things on the ground, but God sees uh, things that go you know, through and without and through time in and, and ways that we could never see. Uh, and so there is an invitation to trust God's sovereignty in that. The second thing that we see is that as God is working out that plan, He is not limited in working out that plan in using only people who will bow the knee to Him. Uh, and, and I find that, you know, very encouraging. I mean, God can use anybody. You know, God can use a stick. God can use the most obstinate mule. I mean, God can use anybody in working out His plan. And that's important for us to remember. I mean, throughout history, John Stott put it this way. He said, throughout history, there have been the Caligulas, the Herods, the Neros, the Domitians. You know, these are all people in the, in the New Testament times. These were horrible emperors through Christians and uh, into the arena, and it was just terrible to the uh, to the, for the society. There were Hitlers, there were Stalins, there were the Idi Amins, the Saddam Husseins of, of our times. You know, what, what Paul is not meaning to say is that God is responsible for their behavior. Each one of them is going to give an account for what they do in that authority position. Or, nor is God, or Paul saying, that they are never to be resisted. I mean, we see clear examples of that in the Scripture. Uh, just think back. I mean, we think about the Hebrew midwives, you know, when the Pharaoh gave the order to kill the oldest children. I mean, they, they resisted that. They end up in the hall of faith. You, you think of Rahab the spy, uh, or Rahab with the Israelite spies and the ways that she hid them from the governing authorities because the governing authorities were, were working in ways that were unjust at the time. So there are definitely examples in the scriptures where we resist authority. So Paul is not saying that. But Paul means rather that all human th authority is derived from God's authority 
so that we can say to rulers what Jesus said to Pilate, you would have no power uh, over me if it were not given to you from above. Pilate misused his authority to condemn Jesus. Nevertheless, the authority he used to do this had been delegated to him by God. So, first thing, we just recognize that there is a hierarchy. It's for our good, uh, all the way woven into the fabric of creation. We see that this is important in every human institution, Uh, you know, civics, household, church, whatever. Every human institution, there is an authority structure that God has given, and it is God who has given it, and we are to be honoring of that authority structure. So secondly then, uh, we see not only is there a hierarchy, but it has a specific purpose. And the purpose, as Paul lays it out here in Romans 13, is twofold. Uh, On the one hand, it is to do good. You see that in in these verses. Um, Rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. This is verse 3. Would you have no fear of the one who has authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not have the sword in vain. So there's two things. One, he, he promotes good. Uh, then secondly, he, he judges evil. And this is the issue, remember, that Paul continuing, he's continuing that thought. As individual citizens, we are not to take justice into our own hands. We are not to revenge ourselves. Uh, we are to act humbly. That's, that's what Paul is saying uh, in, in 12, the end of that chapter that we looked at last week. Like Our responsibility as, to, as individuals is to overcome evil with good. The state, however, has a different responsibility. The state has a responsibility to do things that will uh, promote human flourishing, uh, to do good, uh, to enact just laws that that benefit uh, people equally, that don't benefit one group or an, over another, uh, that continue to promote the good of our society, and then they have the responsibility to check evil, uh, recognizing that people have rebelled against God, that we have trouble staying in line, that we have trouble loving our neighbor, the state is there to help us remember that. On the issue of doing good, there is so much scripturally, and again, you know, I can't tell you who to vote for, but I can tell you the principles that, that God wants us to be looking at. Uh, so if you look at a place like Psalm 82, God has taken his place in the divine council in the midst of the gods, small g, he holds judgment. He's talking about the rulers of the world. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted, the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Uh, this is the, the call of government. You know, Paul or, or David says, or the psalmist, 
uh, Asaph in this case, says it very clearly uh, that this is what they are to do. Jeremiah chapter 22, uh, Shalom, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, um, this is what God said about him. Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness, his upper rooms by injustice, who makes his neighbor serve him for nothing and does not give him his wages, who says, I will build myself a great house with spacious upper rooms, who cuts out windows for it, paneling it with cedar, painting it with vermilion. Do you think that you are a king because you compete in cedar? Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Josiah was a good king. Then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and the needy. Then it was well. Is this not what it means to know me, declares the Lord? Uh, And so this is what God is coming and is saying, this is what government is for. This is the state's function to exercise justice and righteousness. And to the best that we are able, we are to uh, think about that in, in terms of our voting. Bring that into the, the booth with us. Who are the candidates that most do this? And, and specifically with regards to the weak and the needy, who is it uh, that is going to think of uh, the poor among us, the refugee, the unborn, you know, all of these categories that exist in our culture. And just mentioning that triad, you recognize like you, you can't say one party's got it over another. Uh, this takes real discernment, it takes prayer. Uh, we have to really thoughtfully think about it, but this is the role of government. And then when it doesn't happen, the government is given the right uh, to, uh, is given the responsibility to, uh, to carry out justice. Now, what does that mean? Uh, how does that work? I mean, the word here is vengeance. You know, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Uh, the state does not bear the sword in vain. Uh, there are two things uh, primarily. Well, I'll say three things. You know, one is just the, the, the overall responsibility to see that uh, wrongdoing is punished, that, that justice takes place. You, you know how frustrating it is just on an individual level when you've been wronged and there is no justice for that. Like that, that is just so frustrating. Imagine living in a society. It's, it's really hard for us to imagine that because we live, in, I mean, we're so blessed to live when we do and, and have the amount of justice that we have right now. So many places throughout the world, you know, people get by on grafts and bribes and, you know, there's no justice for people. But, but we understand it and we understand how, how frustrating it would be to live in a society where there was no justice. So on, on the one hand, uh, we have that, that responsibility, that right that we need as individuals that the government has to enact that. Now, how do they do that? Well, there are some certain things that, uh, you know, over the years that, that have been implemented. You know, one is this idea of capital punishment. Uh, is, is that what is being talked about here when it talks about bearing the sword? I think you recognize that this is a very complex issue. 
some of you are, are keyed into uh, Just Mercy, the work of the, the Innocence Project, uh, and you recognize that over the years that America has instituted capital punishment, uh, that uh, there have sadly been a number of innocent people uh, that have been executed as we We've gotten DNA evidence and, and been able to figure that out. We realize that there has certainly been a wrongness instituted with this. And it's, it's tough because you've got corrupt systems uh, who, and you've got corrupt people in those systems who are called to enact something so serious. Uh, so do we automatically say then that that is not what is being talked about here? Well, uh, it's not quite so easy. I mean, if you go back uh, to Genesis chapter 9, you know, there seems to be this creation order uh, coming out of the image of God that if man sheds blood, by man shall his blood be shed, Genesis 9. Uh, then you look at uh, the, the Israelite theocracy, and, and so we don't live by the theocracy anymore. Christ came not to abolish that, but to fulfill it, remember. That's, that's an important thing to note. But we are not bound by those rules of theocracy, but there was capital punishment built into that. Coming out of the perfect heart of a perfect lawgiver was this idea of, of capital punishment in a number of different, you know, for murder, for human sacrifice, but there were other things too, like adultery, and you know, there was, there was a, a pretty serious order. So it's something that needs to be wrestled with. Uh, and and it, it, is, it is a difficult question. I, I would say it's not without warrant in, in the Scriptures, uh, but like I said, we, we are flawed individuals trying to enact something that God has given us. And the same thing could be said when it comes to war. You know, there are Christians that, that are, are pacifists. They do not believe that you should ever take up the sword uh, against a, another person. And, and that is, you know, a, a legitimate position. I, I believe that a lot of folks that have taken that position aren't just trying to get out of military service, uh, but they, they, they legitimately believe, based on their reading of Scripture and the Holy Spirit's guidance of them, that that is the position that they are called to take. On the other hand, other people have said uh, that there are certain things that uh, God calls us uh, to fight for in the same instance. If there is an unjust, uh, I mean, you, know, you take something like uh, Bonhoeffer's plot to or, or desire to assassinate Hitler. You know, he, he would have said biblically that there was a case for that, for taking up the sword uh, in, in that type of situation. So, again, these are difficult things to wrestle through, but you see there is this framework in which God has a, has a, a hierarchy. He has ordained it. He has given to the state a responsibility that he has not given to individuals, uh, and that is to enact justice within the within its or within its realm. The last thing that we need to think about is then what's our response? So, 
<clears throat> let, me, let me just say this, uh, and I, I always got to get a, a John Calvin quote in. So again, interest, uh, you know, do not forget that I, I think we feel like our times are very intense politically, but again, go back to the first century. Go to, you know, Calvin's time, the 16th century, and, and the, some of the things that were going on there in kingdoms and, and magistrates and how the church was mixed up in it, and it was, it was a mess. Um, but, I, you know, we, we need to really think about, I, I think, just a word for those who are interested in serving in government or as we think about supporting our government leaders, it's a high calling. And as a church, we, we need to promote this. Uh, you know, we need to encourage people. You know, politics has become such a stained uh, term. Like, it, it, it is pejorative, right, when we, when we think about that. And maybe that's okay because the politics, but government is a good thing. I mean, it is ordained by God, and so to aspire into that and to encourage folks that we know want to promote the will of God is something that we should do. Calvin says this about those who pursue government, uh, to include in your life an ardent pursuit of integrity, prudence, clemency, moderation, and innocence. Uh, this is what we are to be conscious of or if we have been constituted as ministers of the divine justice. In short, if they remember that they are vice regents of God, it behooves them to watch with all care, earnest, and diligence that in their administration they may exhibit to men an image, as it were, of the providence, care, goodness, benevolence, and justice of God. If they fail in their duty, they not only injure men, not only are they criminally distressing to them, but they offend God by polluting his sacred justice. So it's, it's a high calling. I, I just want to say that. Uh, you know, it is a high calling to serve uh, government that way. In, incidentally, I mean, the words that are used here are minister uh, and uh, liturgy. So it's deacon, diaconoi, they're servants, and, and they're liturgists. Uh, that, that is the word that's used to describe those that are placed in authority over us. And so, let's encourage them. May they be challenged as well. Finally, submission. Two things. Uh, one, in action. So, just a note about that word, submission. The, the word it says there is be subject to. This is the same word that we see throughout the New Testament. Uh, we see it in a place like Ephesians 5, uh, where it says, be subject one to another or submit one to another. Uh, we see that in terms of the order, ordering of the household institution. You know, wives be in submission or subject to your husbands. This is the biblical word, and it's the biblical concept. So, uh, again, we've said that there is uh, both an attitude and an action that, that flows from this. The action here is that we're to pay our taxes. 
Um, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is old, owed. This is a, a New Testament teaching coming out of what Jesus said, Mark chapter 12. You know, they tried to trap him. Render to Caesar what is Caesar. Render to God what is God. Speaking of the image that was on the coin, the image that God places in man. Uh, we see it in First Peter. Peter uh, repeats a lot of those same things where he says, honor the emperor, pay your taxes, all of those things. So, there is, there is an action that God calls us in terms of our, our submission. Our lives are to look like that. Uh, we are to, uh, it doesn't mean we can't have a voice, you know, in a democratic society or the republic like we have now. It doesn't mean that, that we can't protest some of these things. But Again, Rome was filled with, I mean, there was no chance to protest, you know, and, and they had exorbitant taxes because they had to keep their war machine going. Uh, that, that was the, the thing. So you were paying taxes to keep people in, uh, in, in domination over you. I mean, that, that must have been a really, really difficult thing. Uh, but what's interesting is God used that. I mean, the, the Roman road system. You know, God used that to, to spread the gospel. Uh, the, the, even the, the, the negative effects, the diaspora, the, the public, you know, God used that to push people out into its society and take with them the spread of the gospel in every place. So, we, we need to uh, in our actions, continue to be obedient to God as He places those people over us and obedient to them in our action. But then certainly in our attitude. And this is, I think, one of the things that is just so difficult for us uh, in the 21st century West is, I mean, we hear that word subject or submit and we're just like, mm -mm. <laughs> not going to do it. Uh, and, and I, you know, I reflect on this a little bit, you know, government by the people for the people. Uh, I, I like our republic. I like our system of government. I, I think, you know, over all of the systems of government, um, I, I think it, it has the best chance to, uh, to really do some of this stuff really well. Um, but there is a sense in it where we, we are encouraged to not submit. You know, we're encouraged to make our voice heard. We're encouraged to, uh, to do all of these things. And part of what Paul is saying here is, no, you, you have to submit. You know, even if you feel like it is unjust. And if you want the, the portrait for that, who do we turn to? We turn to Jesus. First Peter chapter 2, you know, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, Paul says, or I'm sorry, Peter says in chapter 2, verse 13. He goes on to talk about the state. He says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Then he goes on and says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it, uh, 
is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and you suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, leaving you the pattern so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile and return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed." It's such a beautiful passage because it says our attitude, and this is what Paul said in, in earlier in verse 4, Philippians 2, let this mind be in you which is yours in Christ Jesus. So, I, yes, for sure, there are things that are happening in America right now that are beyond frustrating. Some things that are downright criminal uh, are taking place, and they are sanctioned by uh, parts of our government. But what, 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 what Peter is saying and what the New Testament consistently says is look at your Savior. He went through, he endured a kangaroo court, both of his people, the Jews, as well as of the governing authority, the Romans. And he did it because he knew that God was still on his throne. Did you, did you see that passage where it says, or that phrase where it says, he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. If you want application for Romans 13, it's that. God has made this structure. God has put it over us. Our call is to continue entrusting ourselves to Him who judges justly. Even in the midst of things that are unjust, may seem unjust, may seem wrong, the message is always that God is on His throne and that He is working despite the failings of human institutions. And if you want to see it, you can look at Jesus. You can look at Jesus, what He endured, the path He walked, and, and He invites us uh, to entrust ourselves in the same way. Brothers and sisters, I, I know it's not easy. And I know that there may be lots of questions, you know, just kind of walking through this framework. And, and sure, there, there are lots of things that we need to work out with, with much prayer, with much humility, uh, as much as we can. But the good news is this, God is on His throne. God is on His throne. And whatever happens in a couple of weeks, God hasn't lost control. Uh, he is still on his throne. And I know there's going to be weeping of and gnashing of teeth. You know, no matter who is elected, half of you are going to feel, oh man. <laughs> uh, you know, well, the other half may, may feel slightly relieved. But God is on our throne. Do not forsake continuing entrusting yourselves to him who judges justly. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this word. Lord, we, we need your grace to step into this, uh, to know 
your, uh, your continued providence over us. Lord, we ask that you would help us. We pray for uh, our rulers. You've encouraged us, 1 Timothy 2. Pray for those who have been placed above us. Lord, we pray that you would put in them a heart to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with you. Lord, we thank you that you have given us these human institutions, and we confess that we need them. We want to be on the throne so badly in our own hearts and our own lives. Father, forgive us for that. Help us to realize uh, that it is better for us uh, when we are subject uh, one to another and subject to the authority structure that you have made. Father, we continue to pray for uh, our church. We continue to pray for the needs that are before it. Lord, you know those that are struggling with sickness. We know those. We know that you know those who are struggling with uh, relational difficulties, uh, with loss. We certainly pray for the Stanley family, uh, for Robin and Ken Golden, who has passed on. And uh, Lord, we ask that you would be close to them during this time. Father, we pray that you would help us to be your, uh, your lights in this world, particularly as we go through the next several weeks, and there are lots of opportunities to stand for truth, uh, to stand for grace. Lord, we pray that we would not be those uh, who, who are, are heaping scorn on your name and on your gospel. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.